Well, thanks for being here, and uh, I hope you all are enjoying the series in Romans. We uh, have spent quite a bit of time in chapter 1 because really he's laying a foundation for what comes uh, later on in the book. Uh, the book of Romans is notoriously hard to outline. Uh, it's not because Paul didn't have his thoughts together. He did. But what he was doing is he was making arguments, then he would back up, digress into more detail, then he would go and advance again the ideas. And basically what he tells us in Romans, and what I've been trying to get across to all of us, is that he's telling us why the world is the way it is, and why human beings are the way they are. A question that we all ask. We look at the news now, and here we've got two countries, uh, you know, fighting it out with military weapons, and people are dying on both sides. And uh, in, a few, in a number of years, it could be five years or a hundred years or a thousand years, nobody's going to care. They're just going to read about it in a dusty book. But somebody is suffering. And we look around, we go, why is all this? I mean, God, what did you do? Why did you create a world like this? And why did you make us like we are? And the Apostle Paul begins uh, pretty gently at first, but then he gets very blunt. He's saying to us, God didn't make this world the way it is. And God didn't make you the way you are. You made you the way you are. And you've made this world the way it is. And you have to take that in, and this is something that Christians need to be reminded of. We have got to take that in and realize the hopelessness of our condition. Everybody wants to change. We'd love to see peace on earth. We'd love to see justice done everywhere. The apostle is saying, you are responsible. God didn't do this. You did. Now, here is his remedy. And then he goes on for the next 14, 15 chapters, describing what God has done in beautiful detail. And this whole, uh, a whole epistle has a theme, and that theme is the gospel of God, which we read last uh, few weeks ago, and how the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And gospel, I'll remind you once again, we all think we know tree of life that can give you life. There's no more ingress, only exit, only wilderness out there. And that flaming sword was a symbol. You don't get in here. The only way you could come is to give your life. So how does Jesus do it? He passes under that sword for you and I. That sword that exists back in the garden, back in time, however many millennia you want to go back, Jesus passes under that sword, giving His life for all who will trust Him, providing them with a perfect record of righteousness. You see, our record is already stained. I don't know your record. I know my record. I know my record and thousands more. My God, He knoweth none. We know. We can look inside. And that's what Paul says in these first few verses. We knew. We know. 
He gives us perfect righteousness, a right relationship with God. And it is achieved by Jesus' life. This is what we call in theology active obedience. And I'll talk about that in the weeks to come. His death, that's what we call in theology passive obedience, that he gave himself over. They could not have taken his life. Make no mistake. If Jesus had done nothing but lift his finger up to the heavens and go like this, legions of angels would have descended on this earth and turned it into a French fry. Make no mistake. He didn't even have to say anything. All he had to do was point and say, come. And on they would come. Instead, he drank the cup of wrath. He rose from the grave, victory over death. The one thing we all cannot control. This new life is given to us purely. This is a summary of what Romans is about. Through His grace and is received by us uh, by faith in Him, trusting Him alone, Him alone, plus nothing. There's nothing that you can bring to the table that... um, has more worth than his son. So God is saying, look, take your gifts back, take your stuff back, and come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I'll provide the rescue you need. I will provide the remedy. And we'll look at that in a moment. So take your bulletin. I've got just a few verses. We're going to read the first few verses of Romans again. And then his summary statement in 16 and 17 of the gospel of God. Now listen to the word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according by the Spirit of righteousness, the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is God's word. You know, he starts off, and this is a lot of this is a recap, but I hope you'll listen carefully. He begins his letter with words, adjectives, expressions, vocabulary that communicate first off, right off the bat, before he says anything else about how much he loves and cares for humanity. 
Now, Paul puts it in terms of himself, but he is, he is saying God loves you this way. God's gospel is for this reason. Here's why it's there. And he uses amazing. He talks about who God is in these first four verses. The gospel is the gospel of God. It's good news from him. He's not coming to us and saying, shame, shame, shame on you. And he does in a minute, but not then. He wants to lead. He wants to start. He wants to implant in each and every human being that listens that we are beloved. He's not angry. He has done everything to stretch out His arms of love to us. And in a moment, He's going to tell us why and give us good reasons why He should be mad. The same reasons why we get mad, except not at ourselves. We get mad at everybody else. The gospel of God promised in all the scriptures. In other words, he's saying your entire Bible is about this. And I told you a few weeks ago, the gospel was first preached in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 when God said to the serpent, interesting, isn't it, that the first one to receive the gospel was the serpent, the devil. He's the first one to get it. The seed will come and crush your head. You'll strike his heel, his humanity, yes indeed, but he's going to obliterate you. He's going to take your life away. In other words, the strength of death. He is going to deal death a death blow, but it's going to cost him his humanity, his life, life for life. Amazing. God is saying the gospel is in your whole Bible. All you have to do is just be aware of it and look and follow and you see it all through. And those of you that have been here many years, you thought, I mean, we can go look at any passage and you can see some glimpses, some shades. Some are more clear and just out there and others that you have to kind of think about a little bit, let your mind work, but there it is. There it is. He is the subject of the gospel. Then Paul goes on and and he talks about who we are. Who we are. Not objects of wrath like he's going to get to in a minute. No, that's not what we are. Here's what we are. We are people that are filled with grace. We have been given uh, apostleship. Now he's talking about the the, uh, quality of apostleship that is transmissible, that we all have a message to carry. We're not apostles with the letter A capitalized. We're apostles with the small letter A that we have a message to communicate through this, not only this information, but the way we live. We have received this from God, that our obedience is now grounded in faith, not in fear. I'm going to obey because if I don't, lightning is going to strike me. I'll get leprosy. I'll get in a car wreck. You know, some other, you think up whatever horrible things that you're afraid of, and I better obey or he'll get me. No, it's obedience of faith. He's saying, believe in me and obey me out of your faith in me that I love you and that I care for you. In other words, it's like a a child. You know, all of us that have had kids, we want our kids to obey us, not because they're terrified that we'll bust them in the head, but we want them to obey us because they respect us and love us and know that that will please us. And that in return for that, 
We don't receive any more blessings because he's al- we're already blessed. But in return for that, we, we, we have the understanding that we have done what is right to God. He deserves my love, my, my passion, my, my every, everything to Him. For His name among the nations, we have been called to belong. Listen, belong to Jesus, to be saints. We're not talking about saints with a big S like St. Augustine or St. John. We're talking about our role as the people of God. Saints, small s. Grace, we have peace. We are loved by God. And not just us, Paul says, to all in Rome. And then later on he says to everybody in the world. This is how God looks at you today. Before he mentions anger, which he does in verse 18, before he starts talking about the damage we have done to him and his image, who he is, and then turn right around and damage and hurt one another. And remember, he's talking from way up here. He's not pointing a finger right at you and saying, you are the cause of everything because we all don't do all these things. But we do enough of them that we stand under judgment. We've received all this. God is our Father. And Jesus is our Lord and our Christ. Last thing he says about who God is in those few verses. Lord and Christ. That means he's our King and our God. Plain as day. Why is that important? Because you you don't go to your King and your King tell you, Look, I want you to do this and that and the other thing. And you say back to the king, eh, I don't feel like it. Or that's not what I, I, I need to search and find my own path, my own way, my own identity, my own whatever. You don't own me. I own myself. And God still loves you. He doesn't turn his nose. He doesn't hold his nose like I've told you for 18 years. He doesn't go, oh, man. But he does explain why he's angry. So God leads, and this is something Dawson has mentioned, and I have mentioned it for all my time here, that when God tells you to do something, he always proceeds with something else. He doesn't command you to go do stuff. Here's an example. Even in the Old Testament, Exodus 19, God tells the people, He's making a speech to the people, and He said, I brought you out of Egypt on eagles' wings. I rescued you. I covered you. I surrounded you. And He goes and He gives this big explanation. And then, guess what comes in 20? Some of you already know. What's in Exodus 20? The law. Look, I've brought you out on eagle's wings. I've freed you. I've brought you to my holy mountain and you can come and be here with me in my presence. Now, therefore, have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Don't use my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Don't lie. You see, because of this, 
Now be this. And Paul is going to go to excruciating lengths to drive that home. That it's not the other way around. It's not all these commands. And if you keep them, then I will love you. Then I will accept you. Then I will take you in. Obey me and I might take you in. No, it's the obedience of faith. I love you. I've saved you from this horror, which he's going to talk about in, starting in verse 18, this wrath that's out there. I've saved you from this, now do this. Out of gratitude and love and thanksgiving. And so today I want to talk, and very quickly, it's not going to take long. Who did we become? Who did humanity become? This is... Uh, um, This is what Paul is doing in 18 through 32. He's saying, look, humanity is like it is because of you, us, human beings, rejecting God. Now we think, well, you know, gosh, that's no big deal. I mean, after all, you know what? Think about your own life. Think about somebody who just takes you, your family, everything that you stand for, and just throws filth on it and abuses you at every turn. Innocent. It's a person who's innocent and you just abuse and heap, heap scorn on them and, and, and disrespect them and on and on and on. Why is Netflix filled with the, the, their top ten, if it's not some cartoon, it's a top ten, is movies about revenge and vengeance. The bad guys and the good guys. And good guys, when we, the bad guys do something, they kill somebody's family. And, and the, the special forces husband goes and he gets revenge on We love those movies. I love those movies. I want to be him. There's even some now that there are her. Special forces girls who go out and kill people who kill their family. We like that because we long for justice. We want to see it done. But when it comes to God... How, how can he be mad? What, what, what's going on? And I told you last week that the sin beneath every sin, folks, there's one sin that's underneath every other sin, and that is the sin of idolatry. And Paul talks about it in 18 through 23, and it's not in your bulletin, but it is in your Bible, and verse 25. We suppress the truth. This is true of every human being, including us Christians, and I'll explain that in a moment. We suppress the truth about God with all our might. We push it down. And then somehow with the other hand, if we can get a hand loose, we reach out and with all our strength, we pull and exchange that truth that we're holding down for a lie about who God is and who we are. We suppress the truth, exchange it for a lie, and then we worship and serve those other things that we have pulled in. Now, you know, Protestants love to throw stones at our Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox brothers because their churches are beautiful and lavish with statues and iconography. And I was raised in the Eastern Church, and I can tell you the inside is stunning and beautiful. 
And we like to throw stones. He said, look, they're worshiping those images. They're worshiping all that, you know, all that. At least they're honest about it. We're not. Protestants aren't honest about it. We have our idols and we love them. We love them as much as any other idol. We carve them out. We spend our day. Like I had a career. I had a business. I know what it is to put in 20 years of 90, 80, 90 hours a week, sacrifice my family on the altar of money and success and approval. I know what that is, and so do you. We know what it is, but we lie about it. We lie to ourselves about it. We say, oh, that's virtuous. Look, I'm working hard. Working hard is good not at the expense of everybody else around you and yourself toward the point where you hate your job, you hate your career, you hate your work, and it spills out. That's what's happening here. After he describes the wrath of God and what we have done to him, it spills out, folks, into a cascade of enmity between human beings. And he starts with this homosexuality, We love to take this verse about homosexuality out of context and say that uh, it's a pretext. We make it, take it out of context and make it a pretext to say, look there, homosexuality is wrong. It is, and it's a sin. But that's not what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, look, what we did, we destroyed and disfigured the image of God Himself. We went right at Him. And then we turn around and we look, and there what do we see? Oh, look at all these images of God, the image bearers. And so the one thing God said about humanity, He didn't say we were black, we were white, we were Russian, we were Ukraine, we were uh, Middle Eastern like me, I'm Lebanese, uh, or Hispanic, or tall or short or beautiful like me, and ugly like some of you. He didn't say any of that about the human race, about the image bearers. He said one thing. I made them in my image, male and female. And so the first thing mankind did was attack that one thing. And then, anything. Listen to, uh, this is a great little commentary by R.C. Sproul. Uh, It's like a primer. Ha ha. Uh, but it, it is short and it, it is really good. Listen to what, uh, what R.C. says about that. When a man or woman, when a man's thoughts are devoid of God, his life is characterized by not just a touch of unrighteousness, not just a little, but a fullness of unrighteousness that touches every part of his life. You see, it's a cascade. It's an avalanche that falls. We, we love to. Right now, the, our, in the culture wars, especially in the Christian culture wars, we have a target on the back of anybody that has experienced same-sex attraction or anything like that, transgender people, you name it. And we put a big old target on them. And then, we don't even bother to read the next verse since they didn't acknowledge God he gave them up to a debased mind here you go over 20 
accusations against mankind. All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. How do you like that? Inventing new ways to be bad. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteousness. They know it. That this this is punishable by death. But they continue to do it. They not only do it, but we do the, the, the extreme. We applaud the people that are doing it along with us and encourage them to do more. Do more. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Do whatever. And over here is the threat of the loss of your eternal soul. And, and, and people are encouraging us to do that. You know, nobody likes it. I had a drinking problem. Some of you know that. When I was a kid. I started drinking when I was 12 years old. And so by the time I was in high school, I was full on drinking. Every day. And you say, well, how did you get uh, alcohol? Well, my friend Ivan Enriquez, who some of you remember, uh, when he was 15 years old, he could grow a beard in one day. And his hair was already turning gray. And so we'd trot him into the stores to get the beer, and they never questioned anything. They found him dead a few weeks ago in his apartment. Look, folks. I was never going to get out of that. I was never going to be able to get out of that. Every one of these things is in our life. Our heterosexuality is messed up. And if you don't know that, just open your eyes and read anything about the rate of divorce and adultery and porn and every other crazy... Heterosexuality is also a place where we have assaulted the image of God. And it's mentioned many, many times in the Scripture, whereas this, I'm not minimizing the sin of homosexuality, but what I'm saying is that what Paul is saying is, I'm not going to give you proof text so that you can go out there and start pointing at people. No, read the list. And then you tell me which one of these sins you gave up and conquered. Just one of the sins on this list that you have been able to defeat on your own that gives you a right to come to this holy table. None of us are worthy. And I just closed my Bible, or my notes. So I don't know what to say next. Look, folks. You don't have to go and be debased and, and go and be a drunk at a teenage life and do all kinds of things. You don't have to do that. But even the best person on this earth has idols in their heart. And we manufacture them every day. Money, beauty, education, approval of others, race, whatever race you think you are, unless you've done Ancestry or 23andMe, you don't know what you are. And if you're like me, you don't want to know. 
I mean, come on, folks. Wake up. This is bad, and Paul is saying it's bad, and Paul is saying something must be done, and it's not in your control or my control to do anything about it. Jesus didn't come to die, folks, just to show us what true love is like. You know, the church fell into that for a long time, the exemplary model uh, of, of Christ's atonement, where just, you know, he came just to show us what true love looks like. No. They could have done that a million other ways. In fact, God did it in, a, in the form of judgment. He just gave us everything we wanted. Three times in these verses, he said he abandoned the human race to their desires. He just gave us what we wanted. And Augustine said the punishment for sin is sin. Look, I don't want... I don't want God to give me what I want. If he gave me what I wanted, it would not include any of you. Right? If he gave you what you wanted, it would not include me. Because I've been a little hard on you. No, he doesn't give us what we want. He gives us something way infinitely beyond what we want. He gives us His Son, Jesus, and He says, if you have Him, everything else will seem like wood, hay, and stubble. He's going to talk about that in one of His other letters. He's going to say it's all going to be like rubbish. He says, in, in fact, He uses a very obscene word to describe the rubbish, Rubbish is not rubbish in Greek. It's something else. And he uses a very crass word to describe. I counted all this so that I may gain Jesus. You have him, you have it all. You have it all, you have nothing. It just goes away. It evaporates like smoke. The Proverbs say that money is like a bird. It just sprouts wings and it flies away. What is the remedy? What is the remedy for our sin and this desperate condition that we are in? I'll just read it to you and then we'll go have communion. Because once you hear this, you're going to want to run up here to this table and take part of this holy sacrament, feeding on the body and blood of our Savior Jesus. Symbolically, it doesn't change or anything like that. We don't claim that, but we do say that he's present in this, really and truly present by faith. Here, how do you get right with God? He's going to come to this in just a few chapters because what he's doing is he's saying the whole world is under condemnation. And then he's going to move to his own chosen people, the, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. And he's going to say, they all thought they could buy me by obeying my law. They thought they could do it, but they couldn't do it either. Even after I gave them the law and said, here, do this, and you'll live. They couldn't do that either. And then he comes back to us, and he says, all have sinned and fallen to all humanity. We're all under the same threat. 
And listen to how he answers that. <laughs> I, gosh. But now, probably the best two words in the Bible, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there, listen, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or made right, but brought back into that right relationship, all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. How did you get this gift? Well, God bought it for you with a currency that none of us have. The life and the blood of His own Son. This is what the gospel is about. God looks down and He says, a payment has got to be made. These people, humanity has done too much. I've been watching bloodshed and wars long before Ukraine and Russia, long before Vietnam, long before Afghanistan and Iraq. Long, I've been watching wars for millennia now. And they never even attempt to stop. They just keep devising more ways to kill one another and send innocent people on, on trains of refugees to try to escape, to go somewhere. Why my family came here, the Armenian genocide, and that my family started fleeing the Middle East to get out of, to get out of Dodge. And probably most of you, if you trace your lineage back somewhere, are here because of something like that. And God's been watching this, looking at it. How are we going to fix this? I know. I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. Surely, they'll welcome him. Surely they will receive him and listen to his words. Surely they will embrace him, take him in. And the only thing the Pharisees in their meetings when Jesus would do something, raise somebody from the dead like he raised Lazarus, they'd all get together and they'll cancel, what are we going to do? And then they would say immediately, oh, I know what we need to do. We need to kill him. Folks, I can't say it any more plainly than that, or, and really, and I hope you'll accept it, with more, any more love in my heart for you, that Christianity has often just become part of a person's life. They just kind of glom it on. They kind of add it on, like, okay, I need, a little, I need a little spirituality in my life. Christianity sounds good. And they take it in. No, you don't take in God and King. You don't do that like that. You don't add Him to yourself and say, here, come along and be my pal, my co-pilot. No. He becomes Lord and King and everything in our life is His, including, uh, including our life. And when you do that, a certain kind of freedom will flood into your soul. I promise you. 
Your life won't get easier. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's going to get harder. But a freedom from the control of these idols. Think about it. None of them will ever die for you. None of these false gods will die for you. Jesus did. And he says, come, in me you will find righteousness. It's mine, I give it to you. Just trust me. Will you trust him? I hope you will. Father, uh, I don't know how to say thanks to you, but just to thank you and to bow our need to you and ask for your mercy and grace to continue in our lives. These are, they're hard words, but they're loving words. They're words of rescue and compassion, words of desire that you want us, that you love us, that you've provided everything we need to be peaceful and satisfied and full. Even if everything is taken away, we could never lose you. So, Father, please, I ask that as we move forward through this book in the next few weeks, that you would burn this down into our souls more and more each day. Please, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.